Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. Welcome back. This is part two of Taking Control of Our Well-Being with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Cousins. You're a cardiothoracic surgeon on one hand, and on the other hand, uh, you're um, somewhat of a historian. So what, when you think of it all, what uh, sets your soul on fire? Wow, that's, that's a pretty cool question. I, I would say in short, Africa, uh, African people, uh, our history. Uh, in 1994, I was fortunate to go to Egypt, what we call Kemet. And I spent two weeks on the Nile with the world-renowned Dr. Yosef Ben Yakin, or we call him Dr. Ben affectionately. Mm-hmm. This is a brother out of, um, well, he's, he's kind of international, but he was uh, based out of New York uh, more recently. He passed away a couple years ago, mm. uh, well into his 90s. But he had been taking trips back and forth to Kemet uh, since the 30s. And it had become the world's foremost authority on Egyptology and ancient uh, African history. And so we spent two weeks on the Nile with him where we would go out in the day and visit different uh, tombs, ruins, uh, temples, what have you, the pyramids, the Cairo Museum. And then he would come back in the evening and he would start the lecture somewhere around six o'clock. Sometimes you would look up and it would be two or three in the morning and you would think he's sleeping cause his eyes are closed, but he never stops talking wow. and delivering knowledge. And so it changed my world completely. Uh, I, you know, when I got off the plane there, I felt like I was two or three feet above the ground the entire time that I was there. And as I looked around, I saw people who looked like my cousins, my aunts, my nieces, my nephews, and they were all saying, welcome home, brother, welcome home, sister, to the sisters that were in the group. And so it was a uh, affirmation of things that I had read about, uh, but had been told weren't true uh, in terms of the pyramids, uh, in terms of medicine, in terms of science, in terms of all of the great things and civilizations that had been put forth in Kemet and Nubia and Aswan and places along that line. And so um, when we came back, we actually developed what we call metanetra study groups or hieroglyphic study groups. And so we began to learn how to translate the hieroglyphics uh, basically into English. And that was fascinating to now be able to uh, translate these reliefs, uh, papyrus, scrolls, and things along that line and see the beautiful language that our ancestors wrote in. Wow. Uh, and and all of the treaties and uh, the things that they were spoke of, about, as well as uh, explaining the heart and the circulatory system and all types of surgical procedures and things along that line. So it was uh, totally affirming for me. And since that time, I've been on the mission to try and basically spread that knowledge, to get other people involved in learning our history. Going back to a time before slavery, uh when we uh you know before we had encountered any outside forces because we're really a beautiful people we really were not just swinging from trees and and hanging out with monkeys we were really scientists and doctors and there was a legal system and there was you know everything that we have today really uh existed 
and, and we created it. And it's so nice to see because once you get to slavery, we lose our mind, for lack of a better, and we, and we spend the next four trying to regain it. And so uh, it's really nice to see us when, before we lost our mind, uh, when heaven was a black woman's womb, imagine growing up in a world where heaven is a black woman's womb. I mean, you know, it changes the dynamic yeah. pretty much of everything. Uh, and so it, it's really fascinating to see and so uh, that really excites me. It energizes me uh, when I am in the room and I'm the only one and my ideas aren't being heard and I'm being looked over and things along that line. I grab on to those moments and things like that. And it gives me the staying power uh, to stick it out and to continue to fight for what I believe is the appropriate thing. Okay. And, and I guess you, you've been going, going back to Africa on several occasions because i know you were there last year right yes that then that was only my second trip oh um, okay for some yes. reason i thought you were okay <laughs> no I, I i visit a lot online <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know being in the medical field i've uh, met and become friends with a lot of brothers and sisters from the continent uh because there are more africans in medicine that i interact with than there are African-Americans by far. Wow. Yes, okay. yeah. I know lots of brothers and sisters from Nigeria and Cameroon and Ethiopia and South Africa and places along that line, but not a whole lot of folks from Tennessee and Kansas and yes, it is very interesting to me too, yeah. And so uh, we went this past year to Ghana Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the year of return, marking 400 years from the uh, slave ships uh, leaving the Elmina, Calso, and, and what have you. And so it was a great affair uh, to be there. And uh, things that I could not have imagined doing, uh, we were able to do, like we were able to spend three or four hours with former president J.J. Uh, Rowlands at his compound there, which was fascinating. Uh, I was able to meet uh, Dr. Frimpong Botang, who was the brother who founded heart surgery in, who started heart surgery in Ghana. Uh, he was a young man. Uh, he said he was, his mother was seven months pregnant with him and his father was killed in an auto accident. And had they had any basic things for chest surgery in Ghana, his father could have been saved, but they didn't and his father passed. And, he later went to Germany and learned heart surgery and transplant surgery and came back to Ghana, opened up the Red Cross, started doing heart surgery there. And we spent several hours together. And now we're trying to work to do, uh, potentially bring my specialty to Africa, meaning uh, I do beating heart surgery, which is a different method than what's uh, commonly used, but it would be very beneficial in Africa because you don't have to use as many resources or the heart-lung machine. And so I'm trying to, the COVID thing has thrown everything kind of off step, but I'm hoping to be able to uh, pursue that again. Uh, we went to villages and met kings and queens. Uh, we went to uh, ceremonies related to uh, the return, the year return. Uh, we had libations. Uh, we had a traditional naming ceremony. Uh, we met uh, vendors and people there and we've actually taken two shipments of clothing and goods and things along that line I'm trying to teach my son a little bit about international trade and also establish relationships with brothers and sisters on the continent because they have things we want we have things they want and so we can develop relationships there uh, and foster those over time 
Uh, Ghana is a fascinating place. Um, is one of the first places to get its independence um, and under Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, so we visited his memorial. We also went to the Carter G. Woodson uh, Museum and home that was there. And so it was just a, an amazing trip. Uh, and uh, again, another life-changing trip for me. And my son turned 15 years old there. And uh, I'm hoping that it's gonna, you know, stick with him and, and cause him to grow and, and and prosper as well. So has that? How has that that trip, your second trip? How 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 has that changed you? How how has that whole experience changed you? Because it, you know, yes. happened last year. Well, it 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 is always eye opening to get into the culture, to get into the continent of Africa. Uh, and to meet new people and to see how things are done. And of course, for me, from the medical perspective, uh, you know, they still need a lot of things there uh, in terms of even like incubators for newborns or for premature infants. They still need those types of things. Uh, and so it's opened me up again at, at 51 years old. Let me know that, you know, the world is still a little bigger than what I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, and look definitely bigger than West Virginia and uh, opens me up to be able to uh, explore and give my kids a greater opportunity uh, to see the world and to see that they can uh, be multinational and international. And it, it always pushes me to, to try and get lots of other children to make these trips. These trips can change people's trajectory in life uh, completely uh, and and cause them to have a different outcome than what they would have if they don't take them. And so I'm big on trying to support uh, financially and, and also put these trips together. Dr. Uh, or Professor James Small, who we went on the trip, he's been going for 30 some years. And that's the ideal way to travel with someone who knows yeah. what's going on in other country and they set up all of the things for you to do and keep you safe uh, and, and, and what have you. Although when I was there, I felt safer than I felt on the streets of many U.S. cities. And when we came back, we came back through New York. And I definitely had felt safer walking along the streets in Ghana than I did in New York. And the air was a lot better as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've never been to Africa. It's on my list. And it's, you know, yes. it would be good for us to plan a, a West Virginia trip. Yes. I'm sure, I'm sure we can get a good... 20 or so people yes so that, that's an ideal that's an ideal size is 20 to 30 i i think uh because everybody can kind of communicate look after one another and really have a great time yes yeah yeah once we get out from under COVID here <laughs> yes um you mentioned oh the beating heart surgery my dad had um valve replacement surgery back in 99 and i remember then he was on the uh, had to be on the heart lung machine. So yes. how common is 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 that beating heart, open heart yes. surgery? How common is that? Okay, so nowadays not very common at all. Uh, I'm one of the few people around the world who still does it as a routine daily practice. Wow. Uh, I was in Oxford, uh, uh, Oxford University about uh, two years ago and what I learned there with what they call the masters of beating heart surgery is that I was doing two to three times more beating heart surgery than most of the guys who were listed as the masters around the world. Oh, wow. So, that was, so it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like you're a master to me then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the question I posed at the lunch table. <laughs> uh -huh. <Yeah. laughs> so that was very exciting. 
And so the difference is what your dad had with valvular surgery, he needed to be on the heart-lung machine okay. so that they could isolate his heart, stop his heart, open it up, repair or replace the valve, and then close them up and separate them from the heart-lung machine. And so the beating heart surgery that I do involves the coronary arteries, which are the blood vessels that supply uh, blood and nutrients to the muscle of the heart itself. And they sit on the outside surface of the heart. Okay. So I can work on those with the heart beating on the outside surface uh, and never have to stop the heart because I don't have to go into the interior where the valves are located. Okay, gotcha. And so when we do that, the advantages of, using the, uh, of not using the heart-lung machine is there's less blood loss, there's less need for uh, blood thinners so we don't bleed as much, so we don't have as much blood transfusion. That then cuts down on the rate of stroke, kidney failure, lung failure, and things along that line that sometimes when you have to prime the pump with fluid and other things to keep uh, the pump from clotting off and what have you, then those extra things cause some of those other sequelae of the pump itself. Okay. And so I do this surgery with the heart beating and it cuts down on a lot of those things. And I think people do a lot better with it. But it's only... Um applicable to certain types of surgeries. That is correct, yes. Which is the most common surgery that a heart surgeon does is what they call coronary revascularization or cabbage, or mm -hmm. some people say I had bypass surgery. Okay, okay. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. So I, so you're a master in that. So in terms of cardiothoracic surgery in general, how common is, do we have a lot of cardiothoracic surgeons in West Virginia, in the U.S., in the world? I mean, how common is that uh, specialization? In West Virginia, through all the programs here from WVU to Wheeling to here in Parkersburg and Huntington and Charleston, there's probably about 15 heart surgeons. About 15. Uh, give or take. In the whole country, I would say maybe 3,500 or so. So it's not, it's not a ton of us around. Okay. So what about um, cardiothoracic surgeons who are, you know, are, are black? How common is that? Uh, I would say maybe a couple hundred. Maybe. In the world? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how can so we... Room. Huh? There's room. There's room. There's room for some young, young there's brothers. Room at, yeah, there's oh, room at yeah. the end, right? So how do, we, yeah. how do we inspire more young people to pursue uh, medical careers? Uh, I, one, we got to get stories like mine out, mm -hmm. uh, stories like Imhotep, which goes back to ancient times, mm -hmm. uh, and, and kind of get us in front of the children to make it a realization. Uh, you know, most folks will tell you, I, I'll give my cell phone out to anybody. Uh, patients or students or what have you, uh, because I think that's very important to be able to access somebody who's trying, who you're trying to be like or trying to follow their type of a career. And so I think we just got to let people see that it's possible. And then I can sit down and talk to them and let them know, you know, because people think about, oh, four years of college, oh, four years of medical school, oh, residency. But you're still in your early mid-20s or so when you get through all those things. So there's still a lot of life to live. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. I tell them about my buddy who was a, a device rep who sold, you know, devices to the hospitals. He didn't go to medical school until he was 38. But, you know, 
at 42, he's done. And then that he goes into internal medicine at 45, he's done with that. So if he lived to be 65 or 70 years old, he still has a 25, 30 year career of being a physician. So it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad at all. Um, I know you mentioned earlier that, that in, in, in part one of the interview that um, you're called out at all times of, of the day and night. Is career life balance an issue for you? Or is that something that um, is a concern? Are you pretty much your family understands and how to, what is that like having that balance between your career and your life? You're, you yes. actually said it's your, like a lifestyle, so yeah. It is, and uh, you know, uh, thank God I have a very understanding wife and family, uh, and uh, you know, they, they come to expect, the good thing is that emergencies now are not as frequent or as many as they used to be because they've got new stents and mm -hmm. protocols have been changed, and so a lot of people go to the cath lab they get stents and then they get cooled down, so to speak. And then we don't have to take them in the middle of the night as often as we used to. It still happens sometime, but not nearly as frequently. And so the work-life balance, uh, it's, it's still something you have to work at, mm -hmm. but it's very achievable. And uh, you know, once you get out into practice, for the most part, you kind of then begin to set your schedule, so to speak, uh, outside of emergencies, then you can make most of the things that you want to make attend nowadays. Yeah. Right, right, right. So we, you know, we're in the middle of this, of this pandemic that's really throwing all of our plans off. Um, so how do you see the pandemic really changing um, the healthcare system and just changing our country in general? How do you see it um, really shaking things up? Yes. Well, it has already shook things up in the medical world quite a bit. Uh, volumes are down. There's hospitals closing. Uh, you, you know, it used to be you'd think you get a, a job in the medical field, you're pretty much set. But COVID has changed that. Uh, some of your bigger health systems are furloughing workers. Uh, there's been a big move to telemedicine. So now we're seeing patients just like we're doing now through uh, internet uh, interfaces. And so that's going to depersonalize things a lot. It's not something that I'm excited about because I like to be face-to-face -face and as a surgeon, obviously, hands-on. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I think things are going to get streamlined. Uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, are not going to get their jobs back. They're going to be laid off permanently. Uh, the, I think uh, you know, uh, a lot of the volumes have been lost from a lot of practices. So there'll be a lot of practices that'll close. A lot of people will not survive this. And so the, the changes are going to be a lot. Oh, it seems that no one wants to go to the hospital at all because of fear of getting infected. And so people are suffering at home with all types of ailments and surgical things that aren't getting seen because they're afraid to come to the hospital. So yeah. the way people seek out healthcare is going to change tremendously. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, in a lot of our towns, the payer mix is going to change because people are in other professions are losing their jobs, therefore losing their health insurance. Therefore, they're going to go to Medicare, Medicaid. And then when the, that payer mix changes, Medicare, and Medicaid doesn't pay nearly as well as a private in, uh, insurance. And so that's going to cause hospitals to have to have more budget cuts. And so it's going to be a total different look and feel here over the next, you know, 
months to years. And, and that would, would it ultimately affect the quality of care that we receive? To some, to some degree it will. Uh, you know, I can't nearly do as well with someone in front of me, I think, as I can, uh, you know, I can do a lot better with someone in front of me than I can with them online. Yeah. Uh, you know, because your attention is different, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, you really can't get everything out of a person from them to an Internet interface. Yeah, because I'm sure a lot of what you do is just observation of everything about. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then also the uh, when I'm talking to a patient, part of the time I'm spending that is to allow them to get comfortable with me or not. But that, that also, because they have to have a confidence in me in order, it's, you know, it's a, it's a team uh, relationship. It goes both ways. you got to believe that I'm a good physician and I'm going to take good care of you. And I have to believe that, you know, you're going to respond well to the treatment and follow my direction so that we can both get you on the road to health and recovery. Yeah, yeah. These are certainly rough times, um, but what, what gives you hope? In spite of all this, in spite of everything we've talked about, what gives you hope? Yes, well, I'm from McDowell County, so it's kind, of hard County. To, it's kind of hard to dash my hopes. But the, the, children, the, the children give me hope. Uh, you know, even though we're in a pandemic and things are rough, there's still a lot of opportunity I'm hoping on the other side of this, people are going to go back to doing more gardening because I think we're going to have some food shortages. And, uh, we you are know having that, that, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know how important uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and things that all those lines are. I'm hoping people are going to go back to doing more walking uh, and biking. And I understand some countries are trying to encourage that to cut down on people being crammed into subways, buses, and trains. If you can get people out walking and, and biking, uh, that would help relieve some of that stress. Uh, but, but I'm hopeful, too, because of my history, because of, of knowing where we came from and knowing that, you know, COVID-19, you know, compared to some of the things that African people have experienced, is really just a little blip in the screen. It's very unfortunate that so many people are losing their lives, yeah. uh, however, uh, but I think we'll survive this uh, and we'll come out of it better and stronger. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation that will come out. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone who's interested in uh, uh, developing a delivery service can come along now and help compete against UPSs and the mail, you know, the U.S. mail postal services and shambles. Anybody with interested in things like that, anybody interested in elder care, seniors need a lot of care now, uh, grocery shopping for them, uh, spring cleaning, uh, garage cleaning, things along those lines. Uh, anybody who would be interested in sanitizing things, janitorial services and the need to, you know, people want to have stuff fumigated and sanitized more frequently now. So there's a lot of opportunities uh, and, and we all see now as I always talk about rebuilding Black Wall Street around a model that starts with a grocery store. Well, we all see now how important the grocery store is. And if you can get a grocery store going in connection with a place like Kizra, in connection with a, uh, a farm-to-table type place that's not using antibiotics, hormones, and steroids on their beef or their mm -hmm. pigs or what have you, we could develop a, a beautiful grocery store that then brings a lot of jobs. 
uh, along with it and we can begin to uh, pick up the pieces. And now's a great time because everybody seems to be kind of broke and at ground zero. We're all in this together. Brothers and sisters will decide to start their own businesses. Um, right now is a great time to get online and get any certifications that you thought about, whether you wanted to be a respiratory therapist, an x-ray tech, a plumber, a AC guy, a painter, an electrician. All those things pay very good. You know, like I had the plumber come out. He wants $100 to come oh, out. Yeah, oh yeah. Just to come out. Well, my copay when you come see me in the office is only 90 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the plumber's doing better than the heart surgeon. They're, they're <laughs> raking it in. <laughs> yeah. And so I think now there's a, there's a lot of great opportunity for self-education, uh, to open up businesses, and businesses that are internet-based, where, you know, if you can buy a bunch of hand sanitizer and hold it somewhere, you can get orders for it and ship it out to them or, or what have you. There's a lot of opportunities to grow and start new businesses now. And uh, I think it's, it's something we have to look into as a collective. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's, that's our time. Any, any parting words? I think this has been very energizing and, and stimulating and, and you know, we, we've got to work on developing some of these ideas like the Saturday school. Um, what are some parting words that you want to share with the audience? Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I think that you are an awesome individual. I follow your career and look for you to be governor before long. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just like to encourage the folks out there, this is a very tough time emotionally, uh, what have you, uh, to take a walk, a 15 or 20 minute brisk walk in the morning or the afternoon uh, will help your mind, your body, and your soul. And if you can't find it out there, it being whatever it is you look for, I would say look within yourself for love, for happiness, for self-worth, and motivation. That was the end of my two-part interview with Dr. Jeffrey Cousins, cardiothoracic surgeon in West Virginia, psychotherapist Dr. Natalie Caldera will be my guest for the next episode, which is entitled Managing Our Mental Health in crisis conditions. Be sure to check it out along with the other episodes in the Health Solution Series of Fostering Solutions. Be blessed. <laughs>